They say only one in seven Americans knows a Muslim. If you're that one in seven, or if you're a Muslim yourself, this episode may not be that eye-opening. But if you're in the six out of seven who doesn't know a Muslim, that's about to change because you have a friend in Detroit. Hello and welcome to You Have a Friend in Detroit. I'm your host and your friend, Jason Carr. Depending on where you live and who you know, today's podcast might be fascinating to you or just ridiculous. Let's say you're in L.A. It's probably difficult to imagine that anyone doesn't know a Muslim. But if you're in Vermont, it might be a little more believable. Today, you're going to meet three young women, Muslim millennials all. There is so much to talk about, especially in today's politically charged climate. We're going to really focus in on something that might seem superficial but isn't. What they wear. First, a little perspective on the demographics of the Detroit area. My name is Matthew Jaber Stifler. I'm the research and content manager at the Arab American National Museum in Dearborn. I'm also a lecturer in American culture and Arab and Muslim American studies at the University of Michigan. Metropolitan Detroit is known for a very large uh, Arab American population, and it also has a very large and diverse Muslim American population. Um, and they intersect in many ways in the sense that about half of the Arabs in metropolitan Detroit are Muslim, and probably a little bit under half of the Muslims in metropolitan Detroit are Arab. There are some unique things about uh, metropolitan Detroit's Muslim population in general, um, one being the number of mosques. So in metropolitan Detroit, there's about 60 mosques. Um, some are quite large, some are much smaller, maybe a few dozen families attend them. Um, but just having that number of mosques in a city, a metropolitan area with um, not such an immense population like a New York or a Los Angeles or even Houston, um, it doesn't have the largest number of Muslims in an area that would probably be Los Angeles or Houston or New York just because they have such larger, you know, millions more people than um, metropolitan Detroit. But it is uh, quite diverse, and um, I think per capita, probably, I don't know, somewhere around 10% of metropolitan Detroit is Muslim. Um, and we find nationally Muslims make up, some people say 3 some people say 5% of the population. So it is a higher amount of Muslims per capita than most areas of the country. By contrast, many measurements show the number of Muslims nationwide to be much lower. Pew Research puts it at about 1% in the U.S., which helps explain why so few Americans report actually knowing someone who's Muslim. Sumaya? Yes. Ahmed? Yep. Am Perfect. I saying it correctly? Correct. Sumaya Ahmed. Yep. Rahaf Khatib? Right here. Did I say it right? Perfect. How about that? Yeah. Ten this points. is the one I'm going to mess up. Asha Noor. <laughs> No, he actually said that perfectly. Wow, you're good. You are multicultural. Yeah. I love that. All right, so let's get right into it. The first thing you notice about these three women is that two of them, Asha and Rahaf, wear a headscarf while Samaya does not. We'll get to Samaya in a moment. Let's begin with Asha. She's in her mid-20s, African-American. Her family is from Somalia. She's an advocate and activist. Rahaf is in her 30s, born in Syria, but moved to the U.S. when she was a baby. She's a stay-at-home mom of three kids and an avid runner. In fact, she's the first hijabi runner to appear on the cover of a fitness magazine, Women's Running. Now to Samaya. 
in her mid-twenties. Her family's from India. She's a teacher by profession, but also a community activist. Again, she does not wear the headscarf. So being a Muslim woman who doesn't wear the hijab, um, it's it's different. At the same time, um, it gives me um, even a greater opportunity as well to kind of share my religion and um, make sure people know that I am Muslim, I am Indian, I'm here. Um, we're part of American society as well. Um, I give so much respect to my sisters who do wear it because um, in our religion, we call them the flag bearers of our religion. Because when you see a Muslim woman who's wearing hijab, you automatically know she's Muslim. Sometimes even, you know, you don't know if, of course, someone who's not wearing hijab or, you know, a guy walking down the street, you may not, not know that. So I give so much respect to them. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I as well was grown up here, um, went to an Islamic school. So religion is, you know, everything that we base our, you know, day-to-day -day actions on. And so to make sure that people know um, what our faith is really about rather than let the media tell their stories, um, I think it's really, really important. We have three young Muslim women uh, in the room, and only um, one of you is not wearing job. Uh, when you or you look at her and vice versa, is there any sort of preconceived something that goes off upstairs where you're like, oh, I can see her hair? No, absolutely no. not. Not at all. A lot of people don't realize that Islam isn't a monolithic religion. You know, um, we're not we're not like a monolith as a group. Um, 30% of Muslims in America, America are African-American and black, right? But, like, we're not really represented in the media um, at all. And the same goes for women who wear hijab and who choose not to wear hijab. Um, there's such diversity in our religion, mm -hmm. and I think that we're often pigeonholed as, like, women who cover and women who don't cover, mm -hmm. where I feel like there's so much more to our identities that are overlooked. And I think, for me, that's the last thing that crosses my mind is whether or not a woman chooses to cover or not to cover. And I'd like to add to that that even women who do cover are discriminated against by other Muslims. So you have this whole hijab shaming like, oh, she's not wearing her hijab right, or oh my God, her hair shows on the side, or maybe she's wearing too much makeup mm. while wearing a hijab, or maybe she's wearing pants and she shouldn't wear pants. And, and you know, like we have this whole, like you said, it's not just one like ideology. There's so many types. We're so diverse. We never talk about what Muslim women, men wear. Yes. I realized. So <laughs> and so, so it's yeah, honestly yeah, yeah. not just a, an issue for, you know, women in Islam. I think that it's just women, period, get critiqued for mm -hmm. dressing this way or not dressing this way or wearing too much of this or not enough of that, mm -hmm. uh, where our men kind of get a free pass. Um, and I think that that's just a societal issue at large. And hijab is more than just covering, you know, hijab is modesty overall. So um, covering bad things that we might say that come out of, mm -hmm. you know, our mouth or um, dressing modestly or just being the best person you can overall. Your character is so important. So, um, hijab, you know, just because you wear hijab, it doesn't stop there. Mm -hmm. So you have to have, a, you know, a hijab of your whole body, of your mindset, of your, you know, the way you speak and everything. You brought up men not being held to the same standard. I wonder if any of you would elaborate on that. I think Aisha. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, men also have kind of uh, religious obligations in the way in which they dress and present themselves and also their character. And so I think that a lot of Muslim men in America 
are, you know, quick to chastise or criticize women in the way they choose to dress or not dress um, or act or not act, where they kind of sometimes overlook their own obligations and duties as Muslim men in America um, because the Quran wasn't written with, okay, well, women need to do this, this, and this, and this to be righteous and, and good. It says right after, and men need to do X, Y, Z also to the same, you know, end. Um, and so I think that men don't really, I don't want to say all, um, but a lot of men, especially like in our generation, kind of mm-hmm. like millennials, will not really focus on like internally, like what they need to address as Muslim Americans um, and their own religiosity, but rather focus outward on what women need to do. And I think that that's an issue just at large in this country. We have discussions politically about what women can and can't do with their bodies and how they can and can't dress on a national level in government. Um, And so I think that it's not exclusively a Muslim man issue, but just an issue amongst men in general. Pre-9-11, you look at a movie like True Lies that uh, features an almost cartoonish depiction of an Arab villain, sort of the mad terrorist kind of thing. Do you think that over the years it's gotten better or worse in terms of your general American understanding or misunderstanding about Arab culture, Muslim culture? You know, I think there's this... uh, the numbers state that um, there's only one in, out of seven Americans that actually know or have spoken to a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Is that right? It's by yeah. ISPU? Yeah. yeah. One in seven. Mm-hmm. That's kind of sad. I mean, I, I, I go out there and I make sure I talk to my neighbors and say, hi, how are yeah. you? You know, oh, I'm here. You know, I can speak English. <laughs> you know, yeah. things yeah. like that. But do they make it a point to come up to us and say, Hi, how are you? I want to get to know you. Tell me about, you know, like Mm -hmm. one in seven. But you have to also think that the recent study from Georgetown University says that nine out of 10 media sources in the UK and the US and Germany depict Muslims and Arabs in a negative light as terrorists, warlords or villains. Mm -hmm. So a part of me is like, okay, yeah, you know, this is messed up. No one really wants to talk to us. But a part of me is like we as humans are going to kind of feed into what we are bombarded with every single day. We're Mm -hmm. socialized to think a certain group is bad. We're Mm going to more than likely think that group is bad. And so unfortunately, the onus is on us Mm -hmm. to kind of get out there and have these Mm -hmm. discussions and sometimes kind of swallow our pride and realize that, you know, we've been here for a very long time. And just because things are getting difficult doesn't mean that we need to hide and like, you know, go into our little corners. I think that we need to be continue to be active and on a national level and and have these difficult conversations. Through running, I went out there and I was going to these races. And sometimes I find myself the only hijabi racing, you know, like a marathon or a half marathon, whatever it is. And sometimes I'll be out there in the middle of Milford. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> running. And, you know, and I'm just like the only hijabi there. And, you know, sometimes I'll like lower my cap, you know, even lower just so I can blend in. But then I'm like, why am I doing that? Like, you know, there's, you know, I have to show myself just by not speaking, just by being there physically. As you said, a flag bearer, like yeah. by wearing hijabs, that's a flag bearer. So just by me doing what I love via running, I can spread this dawah. Dawah is a positive message that you carry in Islam. So just by being there is, is carrying a positive message. And I feel like people are do welcome that. People will ask me questions like, don't you get hot, you know, running and all that. Do you? Or, no. 
I don't get hot. I mean, I get hot as much as any other person would get hot, quite honestly. Yeah, but um, you know, I'll get questions like that, for example, or I'll get like what the side looks? glances, yeah, side you know, eye, side me. eye, like if I'm passing somebody or something. Does that make you? Like, does it upset you? <laughs> like who's this hijabi <laughs> running? I know. <laughs> or someone will say, oh, "Aren't you dressed for the rain?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's very interesting. I'm telling you, it's really you interesting for any season. Yeah, <laughs> but no harm has been done. Or, Nothing like You've that. never felt defiant or sort of like, yeah, that's right. I have a hijab on and I'm running. Get over it. You should feel yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, some of it is like that. Absolutely. I am a Muslim woman who doesn't wear hijab, um, but that doesn't take anything away from my identity, if anything. Um, it makes me um, want to make sure that people know who I am. So, um, you know, I hope one day that I have the courage and strength to put on the hijab just like my friends around me who do. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to do the best that I can to make sure that my character um, and my, you know, shines who I am, you know, shows who I am. So, yeah. It's interesting that you make it a timing issue. Maybe one day I will adopt mm -hmm. wearing a hijab. Have you always worn it? I have. I've always worn it. Um, you know, I started out slowly. My father first, you know, said, oh, you know what? Why don't we wear it to Friday, you know, Friday prayers for at the mosque? And I was like, okay. And I wore it. And then slowly after that, he said, well, why don't we wear it all through the month of Ramadan? And I was like, okay, yeah, good idea. Because, you know, we go to the mosque every, every night for Ramadan um, to pray. And I was like, okay, you know, let's let's do that. And then afterwards, he's like, well, why don't you wear it to school now? Since you've got step one and step two, let's add step three. And then slowly, I just never came up. So it was sort of a gradual thing. You know, it wasn't just I put it on one day and that was it. Many women choose to cover because they feel it's their religious obligation and duty um, to express their faith outwardly to show kind of their love of faith and God and, and devotion to their religion, and also as a form of sort of um, kind of connection to your, to your religion. So I know many girls who kind of started wearing it later in life, some of my friends are like, oh my God, like everyone is saying salam to me. Like everyone is saying peace to me, not saying that if you don't cover, you're not Muslim. It's just that when you do cover, everyone just knows you're Muslim. So mm. you kind of feel this sense of community oftentimes where people will be like, okay, she's Muslim and I'm going to say hi to her. So you kind of feel that sense of like family uh, and community. And I think that that happens. with Oh, you're you in the club. Yeah. And in, in a weird <laughs> way, it's kind of like a club. For me, it's also a kind constant reminder. Um, you know, in the morning when I put my hijab on, you know, it reminds me to like make my prayers. It reminds me to act in a kind and polite way with people. Not saying that those things don't e exist when you don't wear hijab, but I think that they're kind of constant reminders. And I also feel that I get a lot of respect um, even in the workplace because um you know, there's really not much to see. So, like, it forces you to kind of, in a weird way, like, a lot of feminists always ask me, like, don't you feel like, you know, patriarchy and misogyny and you're, like, being oppressed? And I'm like, no, not really, honestly, because it forces men to kind of talk to me and not at me. They can't really see much to kind of sort of focus on anyway. So they're kind of focused on my message. Um, and so that is like mind shattering to them. They're like, wow, this whole time we thought it was this super oppressive thing that silences you. And I'm like, no, actually, it kind of empowers me because you're going to have to listen to what I'm saying. And so comes with a but lot how of... how is it oppressive? My question is, how is it oppressive if we're the one choosing to yeah. wear hijab to begin with? 
That's the point. Women are hypersexualized in this country. Like, there's no yeah. question about it. There's just a sells. problem of hypersexualization for even men in this country. So, showing more skin is attractive. This is how women dress in the modern era. If you're not wearing a bikini on the beach, you're Absolutely. weird. There's something wrong with you and you're being oppressed. But I think that that in itself is a form of oppression mm-hmm. because you're kind of forced to buy into this. So, if I want to wear a long maxi dress and long sleeve shirt, I'm a freak of nature at the beach when that's my choice to dress that way. Well, let me ask, ask this. Now, if I, if you were, I don't know, I'm going to come up with a really tortured hypothetical here, but if you were walking down the street and I was also walking down the street and we were walking toward each other and a huge gust of wind came through and, and blew it off your head and all of a sudden mm. I could see your hair and this that area here. <laughs> and do you feel like I've if you and I... have been on the roller coaster. On the roller coaster. Okay, there you go. I was going to say. And if you, were to, you and I were to make eye contact, would you feel like I was seeing something as bare or as um, naked honestly, as your chest or your... Honest, honestly, no. No. I'm okay. just going to pretend like nothing happened. That's the best You would act like nothing happened. Because one time I was on. at an IHOP and it was super, super busy. And my kid at the time was taller. He was throwing the biggest tantrum ever. Literally crying, screaming, thrashing his arms. He took a handful of my hijab, pulled it right out of my head. <laughs> everything, everything came up. Everything showed. I just, and there was a Muslim, um, uh, it was IHOP in Birmingham. Oh, of course. And there was a Muslim table and I knew the family. And I just, I was like, okay, under control. Breathe in, breathe out. I just, you know, put it back on, tied it, and everything went on, you know? Yeah. Like, I, you would just have to have the, that sense of calm and even though inside I was like because if you bring more attention out. to it I feel like it gets more exactly. awkward and it's like and really it weird and yeah so my, you my, just yeah I mean he was throwing it so what do you do when the kid throws a tantrum chand- yeah. you have to ignore it yeah. did everybody go back to what they were doing the, the Muslim yeah. family that you knew that they just oh, go on with their pancakes they like they even I noticed really, yeah I mean it was so busy I think I'm the only one that was freaking out inside of me I'm slowly trying to talk to my daughter about hijab, not forcing her on it, on her or anything that way. I just tell her, you know, it's beautiful, it's nice. Oh, you can get different colors mm-hmm. and you can wear it, you know, in a fashionable way and this and that. And sometimes she tells me, no, I don't want to. Or, you know, I mean, she's seven. She doesn't know. But I'm, I'm slowly trying to introduce it to her and say, like, oh, look at mommy's on a magazine with hijab on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for someone who um, doesn't wear hijab as well, um, even growing up, like my, you know, we... In my family alone, you know, some people wear hijab, some people don't. My sister doesn't, I don't, um, and, you know, my aunts wear it. So um, it's just this thing about being brought, you know, brought up. My mom would always tell me, she's like, of course, you know, that's kind of your decision when you, you know, when you come about that age. But at the same time, you have to be modest. So it was always like, I could never walk out with yoga pants and like a tank top on. She's like, hey, I'm, you know, going about town. She'd be like, you know, get your butt back in here and like, you know. So um, being modest is definitely a big part of our faith. And there's a verse in the Quran that says that God loves things that are beautiful and Mm then God loves things that like just beauty in general. Mm -hmm. So like we're not meant to go outside like thinking that we're like ugly and disgusting. Like we want to take care of ourselves. We're young. We want to go to the mall or, you know, buy things that make us feel beautiful because, you know, just because we're covering from head to toe, that's a decision that we're making. But at the same token, we also want to still celebrate you know our individuality and like and still look beautiful there's actually athletic hijabs now since i'm a runner Mm, i've invested in a lot of athletic hijabs i've had a company send me out a few you know for endorsement and i've had um 
I've had a lot of that going on now recently and um and That's stuff like cool. that. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Hmm. So and I'm hoping that more Muslims will realize that there's a need for the fitness. There I've seen a few area. fitness kind of Muslim. Yeah, I have fashion but it's not blogs. up to par with Nike and well, Adidas yeah. and Lululemon. I mean, we just started. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not up to par with yeah, them. Give us time. Yeah, so you really have to dig deep and search. Because there's a lot of Muslim um you know, hid, I, we call Sorry, I can't count how many yeah. I have, by the way. <laughs> it's it's unfortunate. I'm a staunch advocate of socialism, but I'm kind of feeding into this capitalistic greed and buying all of these hijabs. So materialism, I'm against it, but I own a lot of hijabs. That's, that's a whole my, other podcast. That's my guilty pleasure. Yeah, that is a whole other podcast. People with family backgrounds in the Middle East, South Asia, and beyond, Muslim or not, are intrinsically woven into the fabric of Metro Detroit. There are a million stories that could fill many, many podcast episodes. For instance, we haven't even told you about the amazing food around here. You'd be hard-pressed to find better shawarma this side of Beirut. But we'll save that one and many more for another time. Thanks for stopping by the Motor City. I'm Jason Carr.